Hello, everybody. You're listening to a Bitcoin and Markets live stream. My name is Ansel Lindner, and on this show, I give you a unique perspective on Bitcoin, macro, and geopolitics. You can find me all over. Follow me on Twitter at Ansel Lindner. The Telegram channel is doing really well, so go to t.me for slash Bitcoin and Markets to join there to listen to these live streams live. You can find the show in any podcast app. Just search for Bitcoin and Markets or go to bitcoinandmarkets.com forward slash find dash us and you can find most big podcast apps will be listed there. We're also on Rumble and Odyssey so you can find our channels and go subscribe and give us likes so we can um, reach more people over there on those video apps. We have lost our YouTube channel. And lastly, make sure you're subscribed over on bitcoinandmarkets.com to get notified of all of my content. All right, let's jump in to today's topics. All right, guys, what is up? Happy Friday. Today is December 9th, 2022. Uh, I'm going to be relying on you guys quite a bit today uh, for content. There is, man, is it a slow news day for Bitcoin. I'm going to go through a few charts maybe and a few uh, Telegram posts, and then I'm going to open up the mic, and you guys can bring up any topic you want. Uh, if you want to share something or whatever, there's lots of conversation going on Um on the telegram so bring up whatever you guys want to bring up uh but first let's hit a few just items that we posted here in the telegram this morning so the last thing i posted is from sassel he is a obviously a very well-known dot eth personality and his tweet here is if ethereum still was still on proof of work net new issuance of eth since the merge would have been approximately 1 million ETH. Instead, net new ETH issuance is just 2,600, a 99.75% reduction. This is ultrasound money. Okay, great. Now let's take a look at the chart. <laughs> let's go see what this ultrasound money is doing for ETH. I should have the merge on this. Yep, I have the merge on my chart. Just measuring this out, and now I'm going to post it in the telegram and if you guys are listening on the podcast or on twitter spaces uh check out the telegram it's t.me for slash bitcoin and markets i also when i release this on the podcast apps i have a full write-up on my website it's going to be uh bitcoin and forward slash e and then the episode number i believe this is 279 so it'll be forward slash e 279 and you can see all the charts and i do all the links and everything that i talk about here um so there is the Ethereum chart, and you can see where the merge happened. It is down 20%, 22.5% still since the merge. And let's see where it went immediately after the merge. You know, if this was such a good sign, it was a, a maximum of 34.7% below the merge date. Now, this is the open on the day of the merge. I don't know if like what time of the day this happened, but it was September 15th. So I just take from the open of that day to the, the maximum loss after that time was down to 34.7%. And what's interesting too, if you look at that chart again and you look at where the merge happens and then look at where that next high is, the next high that's at the end of October and early November, it's almost as if the merge date provided like the, the price at the time of the merge provided some sort of resistance to that and it's been down ever since 
So if this is ultrasound money, it's not really working out too great for them. Um, unlike Bitcoin's halvings, right? In Bitcoin's halvings, price goes up. Price goes up into the halving and post-halving. So, uh, and Bitcoin's price doesn't get cut by, not, or Bitcoin's issuance doesn't get cut by 99.75%. It's just 50% each time. So ah, crazy, crazy Ethereans. Um, really what's happening here is that Ethereum's ecosystem is ba was based off or is based off predicated on the issuance of Ethereum. So, you know, for a Ponzi scheme not to explode, you need to have new investors, right? Um, you need new investors to pay old investors. Well, the reason why most altcoins blow up, like have one cycle and then they blow up is because they're a Ponzi scheme and they have one big blow off top and then they go away. Um, go off into obscurity. Ethereum has been able to repump a couple times, which fooled me. Okay, that fooled me. I remember back when Ethereum launched, I stupidly didn't buy any Ethereum. I am have been Bitcoin only since pretty much day one. And so I didn't buy into Ethereum and it pumped up to, I think, $12 or something. And it came down to seven. And I was like, well, that's the end of that Ponzi bubble. And of course, it continued to go higher because of this one tool that they have. They were able to roll Ethereum issuance into a second layer Ponzi. So you could use Ethereum to pump up another Ponzi on top of Ethereum and, you know, continue the ride. And that's happened now with ICO, well, initially with Ethereum, then with the ICOs, and then with DeFi and NFTs and uh, all this leverage that happened with Celsius and FTX and all that. And we'll see if they can roll it into another one. But if they can't, which, I mean, they're more creative, obviously, with their marketing and their scams than I could ever be. But uh, if they can't do this, that's the end of the Ponzi. And they just cut off their whole inflow. You know, the thing that actually inflated the entire system was Ethereum inflation. And they cut that pretty much to zero. That's a stupid, stupid move. The only reason why they did that, right, is because they, well, one, they didn't think they were just an ecosystem of Ponzi schemes, which they are. Second is they tried to emulate Bitcoin, of course, right? They tried to take that narrative away from Bitcoin. And that's why they did it. I mean, they, they're not monetary geniuses like people like Saifedean and Pierre Richard and uh, Hayek and all of these people in the, and Satoshi, obviously. Uh, who else? Zabo. These are all geniuses that are in the school of Bitcoin. And none of these Ethereum people are that way. I mean, Vitalik is definitely not. He was painted as a boy genius and he's smarter than the average person, obviously. But he's an idiot when it comes to economics. He's a great scammer. Remember, Vitalik sold quantum simulation, quantum uh, simulating quantum computers. It was a total scam that he was selling before he got into into Bitcoin and, and hence then into Ethereum. So he's just a really good scammer with this veneer of being a boy genius programmer. But what happens when he turns into a 30 year old? I don't know how old he is. He must be about, around 30. What happens when he turns into a middle-aged guy that has no social ability and isn't really all that smart and people figure it all out? I mean, and they can't do the next layer, subsequent layer of Ponzi. So 
I think Ethereum might be at the end. And a lot of people are, you know, also they say, oh, the the final boss for these Ponzi schemes is Ethereum. And that's true. It is. Does it last one more cycle? Maybe. Can it break some of this resistance and actually make new all-time highs? Maybe. But I wouldn't, I'm not betting on it. Uh, it's, it's gets into a realm of things that I don't understand. Obviously I'm not a very good self promoter. I'm not a very good marketer. I know in my opinion, I know very well the macro, the money, that type of thing, but I, I can't evaluate Ethereum because I'm not a marketer guy. And that is what it all is. It's all marketing for Ponzi schemes. It's tricked me over and over. So maybe it's going to trick me again, but it's not tricking me in the monetary aspects of it you know, or in the macro aspects of it, the, even the technological things like blockchain and uh, decentralization and, and that kind of stuff, I understand. I don't understand, obviously, <laughs> these marketing schemes. So maybe it can pump up again, but I highly doubt it. All right. So that was that one. Let's go back into Telegram and see what else we posted this morning. Oh, we got a couple comments here from guys listening. Uh Ryan Breen, they still hilariously do not know what makes money sound. Yep, that's true. So uh, DT, so 99% different than could have been predicted a year ago. Not so sound. Yes, exactly. That's a great point, DT. The, you know, it's arbitrary. It's arbitrary. Whatever their issuance is on Ethereum is arbitrary. So that's exactly correct, DT, is that in the future with Bitcoin, we can predict what the supply is going to be at a block in the future and estimate the date. Okay. You can't say at a certain date, what the supply of Bitcoin is the only at a certain block height, but uh, with Ethereum, no, you, you can't at all accurately predict what the supply of Ethereum will be in the future. I mean, now they have all these OFAC compliant blocks, which I have not checked in a little while, but these are regulated blocks. I mean, it's a regulated blockchain at this point. Um, and if they want to, if these stakers want to take over and do whatever the hell they want, they can, they can. So we don't know what the future is, going, what the future supply of Ethereum is. So how can it be sound money? Very, very well said. All right. Um, what else do we got? I did release yesterday's live stream and I've been in on a good schedule to do it in the morning. I think the FedWatch podcast version got released this morning too. I had to go check on that and share that. Um, but guys, I very much appreciate all of the listens, all of the shares that you're doing in the bear market here. You know, content producers are when, when they're falling like flies, uh, people are really turning away from the space. There's not very many eyes on the space right now. So I very much appreciate share, share, share all the content. Um, with your meetups, with your friends and family, with your, obviously your, your social media, with Twitter and all that. If you're on other social media, like, um, uh, what's that Trump's thing, truth, social, what, uh, Mastodon, there's getter. There's all these other things. If you guys have a counselor, I would so much appreciate the shares over there because I try to share my stuff as much as I can, but you know, um, it's, I don't want to turn into a broken record either. Cause I'm putting out so much content, at least one thing a day. Sometimes two, like today is two things. And so all of my posts would be about, uh, would be about my content. But anyway, uh, I do appreciate the shares very much. And th this, I came up with a good title for yesterday's live stream of crypto is low T and Bitcoin is high T. 
uh i don't know if i should play into that uh but i don't know how popular that will be with bitcoiners because it's kind of uh they might see it as like a right-wing thing calling crypto people soy boys and bitcoiners high tea but that's the truth all right what else do we have here oh the this german coup now i remember a couple days ago i just got a whiff of this in some of the guys i watch on youtube so I looked it up and I was like, oh, you know, is there a coup happening in Germany? And of course, Germany is famous for the political coups of the 20th century, right? But it turns out that they just arrested a bunch of right-wingers. And I think this is a bad move uh, because they thought that it would make them look strong. But I think really it's going to stoke the animosity for the anti-globalist movement, the populist movement in Germany. And guys, if there's one country in Europe that people don't want a populist movement, it's Germany. So I don't think this is, this could be like one of these initial steps to getting not a Maloney, but someone, you know, kind of like that more right wing uh, movement coming into Germany, because this does not look good. This looks desperate, I think, by the German, German um, authorities. All right. Okay, something I posted yesterday was this sat symbol uh, image. It has like, what, 21 different symbols for sats. And it's the, the headline here or whatever the title of the image is. Sat symbol design options slash wars. Community suggested options. And there's all sorts of things. There's also the just the plain Bitcoin symbol in here. Whatever. But I think the... What's going to happen is the Satoshi is going to end up being a denomination of national currencies. So, for example, if Bitcoin is a dollar is set at 100 Satoshis, then a cent is one Satoshi. So Satoshi isn't going to be necessarily a name that we use, I think. Um, maybe it will, but... At this point, I think we're just we're going to stick with the national currencies. Once they adopt Bitcoin and back their currencies with Bitcoin, we're just going to use the traditional words for these things. And there will be slang, you know, just like there's slang for. You have dollar bucks, greenbacks, cash, you know, all these different terms. You're going to have different terms for Satoshi's as well. Sats. Um, Finney is my favorite. That's one uh, that's 10,000. Satoshi's is a finny because that's halfway to a full Bitcoin, you know, decimal wise, 10,000 sats and then 10,000 finnies is one Bitcoin. And I like that because it's a middle, middle type of denomination right now. That's around, you know, $1 and 70 cents. And if we get to a million dollars, a Bitcoin, that will be a hundred dollar finny. So that is pretty awesome. But anyways, um, what else do we have on Telegram? Let's see what other links I have open. It's kind of a free form Friday, guys. So I hope that you have uh, something to bring up here. All right, here's a headline from Zero Hedge that I, I have open. It's uh, China quietly launches QE. Beijing orders large insurers to buy bonds to contain uh, selling panic. At its core, when stripped away with all rhetoric and technicalities, 
The Fed's QE is just one big bond buying operation by the so-called lender or buyer of last resort, an operation uh, meant to stabilize the market and restore order and price transparency, even if it means creating an artificial market, as the Fed found out the hard way 12 years ago, of QE will do. And if one thing goes by that simple definition, last night, China, which has so far been against replicating the Fed's repertoire of market intervention amid concerns it would exacerbate the country's giant debt problem, quietly launched QE. According to Bloomberg, Chinese regulators asked the nation's biggest insurers to buy bonds being offloaded as retail customers pull their cash from fixed income investments. At a meeting on Wednesday, Chinese regulators told top insurers to backstop the market and buy bonds sold by wealth management units at banks to prevent further volatility. Some banks also proposed to use their proprietary trading desks to scoop up bonds, one source said. All right, very interesting. I mean, a lot of these banks are state-owned they're definitely backed by the ccp you know the ccp won't let a, their largest banks go under they're, they're just arms of the pboc it at, that's what it comes down to so this is qe very very interesting and i haven't seen any other people really talking about this other than this one headline so i'll keep you guys abreast of what i find out and what i hear about this okay Let's open it up to Telegram. You guys can raise your hand if you want. Freeform Friday, you can bring up anything. Don't worry. I if it's I won't uh I think some people might be scared off by me publishing these, you know, as a podcast and they don't want to to speak if I'm publishing on a podcast, but uh don't worry. You can hit me up later and say, "Hey, take my question out if you want to." Okay. Curve, I think had his hand up first. Let me bring you in. All right, un unmute yourself and what what's up? Hey Ansel, uh, forgive me if you've already covered this, but I'm I was curious to hear your take on uh, on like, Tim Draper in general, and then his uh, 250k price prediction that he's moved back to next year. And thank you for what you do. I think you're great. All right, good question. So relaying to Twitter Spaces, uh, Curve asked about my thoughts on Tim Draper and his $250,000 prediction that he has moved back, I think by six months. Is that right, Curve? Yeah, I think he moved it from the end of this year to like mid-2023. Yeah, yeah. All right, so um, overall, I, I mean, I don't know any dirt or gossip on Tim Draper. I know he has some uh, bad investments, like he was duped into Theranos. Is that how you say it? Theranos, Theranos, the Elizabeth Holmes thing. And he's obviously had some really bad investments, but he's been around in Bitcoin for a very long time. Another thing that people don't like about Tim Draper too is that he bought some of um, Ross Ulbricht's coins, right? So when Ross Ulbricht or the Silk Road was arrested and they were auctioning off his bitcoins through the marshal service or whatever they call it u.s marshals to raise money for his defense so he could pay like for his defense and things um a lot of people didn't like the fact that tim draper bid and got a lot of those coins because people thought it was by bidding for the auction they were supporting somehow the prosecution 
of Ross Ulbricht. And I can see the argument, okay, but I'm not mad at him for that. That's really the only gossip that I know about him. Uh, if you said something, that might, it might trigger a memory of years ago, something, some rumor of his. But overall, just what I know of him is he is a very hardcore Bitcoiner from very early on. He's made very good investments in Silicon Valley and stuff. He's also made very bad investments. Um, but overall, I think he is an okay rep representative for Bitcoin or you know, representative of being a large Bitcoin holder. And his prediction, he did predict 10,000 back when it was during like Mount Gox or something. And he said within three years, it would be 10,000. And then within that three-year market, it got to 20,000. So that is... a uh, really good prediction on his part there. Then he said 250 by the end of this year, which I think many, many people thought that. I mean, I'm pretty, I said that. I said 250. I said like, I can't remember the exact number, but it was somewhere between 200 and 300,000 was my prediction. And I got that from Fibonacci's and looking at, you know, different historical things. So um, many, many Bitcoiners were fooled by this cycle. And I've talked about that too, about how hard psychologically that has made this cycle. Because when it hit 69 and it broke out to new highs and everyone, many hardcore Bitcoiners, long time OG Bitcoiners were looking at this and being like, okay, it's easily going to six figures right here. You know, this is it. It's going to be 100, 200,000. Um, of course that didn't happen because I think because of all this leverage that was in the system, uh, the Ponzi schemes, like ICOs. Okay, so the DeFi NFT, I guess, lending, what is that called? Yield farming that they did. That type, that whole scheme is smaller, I think, than the ICO bubble. Uh, but it used more leverage, right? And I don't know, all the way that worked out, I think that, that is what kept Bitcoin from really having a blow off top. Um, and it's also, I think, going to keep Bitcoin from having a massive capitulation bottom, like down to 10,000, which is what people have been thinking as well. So um, anyway, I think that it's not a crazy prediction, 250,000 by the end of 2022. It wasn't. And by mid 2023, uh, that's stretching it. But I also think that there is going to be some sort of repricing event and I've talked about this a lot on FedWatch with CK, also here on this podcast, that the market is not going to be nice, okay? It's not easy to hold. It's not easy to make the decision to go into Bitcoin in size, right? That's not an easy decision, and it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be easy to get the gains, right? So the market is going to make it very hard. Market participants are going to make it very hard. If you are a big bank, if you are a big uh, investment house, you don't want your other investment houses to get in on this. You don't want the other banks to necessarily get in on this. You want to get in, you know, hold the price down. Maybe while you're fudding Bitcoin, hold the price down and then say, yeah, we bought 100,000 Bitcoins. Boom, price goes way up, right? So there's a, there is a competition here and the market isn't going to be nice and let, give people the opportunity to get in. Um, so that's why I think there's going to be a repricing event. Now, if that is the case, 
and it goes up a hundred X. No, not a hundred X, a hundred percent, a hundred percent or 200% within a very short period of time, like a week or two. Um, I can see it easily getting to 250 by mid year, 2023, but perhaps that's when it starts. I don't know. You, you know, it, it makes, I, I'm not going to say it's impossible. It's within the realm of possibility. I think that's probably unlikely. I could see a hundred thousand by mid 2023, but 250, that's, that's probably pushing it. 250 by mid 2024. That's easy. Maybe even by end of 2023, but uh, just bullshitting around here with you guys. Uh, these aren't hard and fast predictions. So I hope that answers your question curve. All right. Who else had their hand up? I missed it. There we go. Reed bringing it in. What's up, Reed? Hey, how's it going? Um, I'll, I'll echo real quick. You know, I, I appreciate all the, the content you push out. It's actually kind of crazy for me to think of how much time you spend uh, producing content day over day. So thanks. I get a lot out of it. Um, thanks, man. My, my topic is um, on Bitcoin mining. And um, I posted a uh, in the comment section of the announcement for this uh, for today's thing um, an article by uh, Jaron I don't know Millard something and um, okay. he actually does I thought a really good breakdown of Bitcoin mining stocks and also the Bitcoin mining like industry as a whole um, and I think it sort of lends itself to what you were just talking about with how much leverage was in the system and I wonder too since we were just talking about the price you know the price cycle and where we're at if you know how many billions of dollars you know flowed into these publicly traded bitcoin miners i wonder how much of that would have flowed into bitcoin if a lot of these companies ended up staying private um anyway just just something to think about if you haven't heard of him it might be something for you to think about uh covering in the future bitcoin mining is is kind of getting to be a pretty big industry absolutely yeah thanks for the comments there um yeah interesting thought that the public mining companies now are keeping money out of Bitcoin. Like as instead of buying spot Bitcoin, they're buying into these miners, but I think that's probably a different market. So there are some, obviously, you know, people buy Bitcoin for the gains, of course. Uh, but as an investment, as being like a gold 2.0, it doesn't have a yield and so that's a little bit different mindset to buy a commodity, say a physical type of commodity, like a Bitcoin or a gold or uh, those type of things uh, versus buying a stock, right? Where you have expectation of um, owning some of their revenue and having some sort of income from that. So uh, it's slightly different. And I don't know if any of the miners offer dividends at this point, but you know, it's a different type of investment in my mind. So yes, it could have, scared off some marginal buyers, but I don't think it scared off the biggest buyers, the most serious buyers that would get in and understand kind of the differences between these two products. So I, I see the argument. I think it looks bad though. You know, the miners losing 90% of their value immediately after launch. Cause I think most of them launched like in February, March of this year, they IPO would back then. Um, and they immediately have this whole year. It's been straight down. I, it's just kind of a bad look. And that's going to take a little bit of time for the market to psychologically get over that, I think. But um, I mean, GBTC is another thing that I think takes a lot. Well, obviously, when you buy GBTC initially, like you, you buy new shares, 
that's when Grayscale goes out there and buys Bitcoin. At least they're supposed to. And I think that they do. I'm 99% sure that they go out there and actually buy the Bitcoin to back every share the way they say. Um, but the secondary market kind of takes a little bit away, especially at a discount when it's at, uh, you know, obviously a 40% discount nasty and a really bad look for Bitcoin as well. But um, the secondary market does take some of that demand as away from buying spot Bitcoin too. So there, I mean, yeah, I can see all the arguments and this Jaron Melarud, I'll take a look at his stuff. I'm going to, I'm going to follow him right now on Twitter. Thanks for posting that. All right. Anybody else? Any follow-on comments from Curve or Reed? All right. Vincent, you got something, buddy? Hello, Axel. Do you hear me? Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, I saw on, t- on Twitter uh, that uh, Sam Bankman uh, admitted that uh, on his exchange, uh, when people bought, bought Bitcoin, uh, they only put a mark on, on his books, but they didn't actually buy Bitcoin. What do you think about of that? Yes, yes. Great point from Vincent. And, uh, I forgot to relay Reed's comments there uh, on the last question. Uh, sorry about that, Twitter spaces. But Vincent said he's asked about SBF, how he admitted to taking people's money and just giving them paper Bitcoin, you know, entries on their database and not actually having the Bitcoin backed at all. Like they were 0% backed with Bitcoin in their reserves. Um, Yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about with the uh, leverage that was in the system. I mean, that's outright fraud, but, you know, people, I know people personally that traded on FTX and they deposited money on there and bought Bitcoin and traded, but you know, the whole time they're thinking there's actual Bitcoins on there. Um, so yeah, that has a definite, I mean, that keeps the price down. I mean, how many billions were probably deposited that meant to buy Bitcoin? And if they had to buy Bitcoin to back that actual Bitcoin, I mean, the price could have, I don't know, quadrupled from 69 and that would have been the top. So yeah, it's uh, it all goes into the leverage of the system, keeping Bitcoin down while pumping these Ponzi schemes that were total fluff from the beginning, total nothing. I mean, who thinks that these NFTs that were just, they were just digital signatures on a blockchain that they were like somehow worth $69 million for that Beeple stuff that was sold at that auction house, uh, Tiffany. No, it wasn't Tiffany's. It was uh, a Sotheby's Sotheby's. Um, $59 million or it's ridiculous. And all of that was pumped from people like SBF people like Brian Armstrong people like, well, Richard Hart, he's a total scammer. Uh, People, people like CZ people like Eric Voorhees uh, people like Joseph Lubin, Vitalik Buterin, all of these Ethereum people telling you that this, these things are the future. They have value. And there was nothing to them. That can't happen with your Bitcoin, especially if you hold the keys. But if you held the keys to your NFTs and now the thing that kind of tied your signature for the NFT to some sort of physical registry for your NFT, that's gone now. 
it does not make sense for people to think that this that whole ecosystem held that much value. And the way they could keep eyes on those scams, the way they could keep eyes on DeFi and MakerDAO die, you know, stable algorithmic stable coins or whatever, uh, yield farming, sushi swap, uh, bullshit swap, whatever this different swaps were that they had. The way they could keep eyes on those things is by suppressing the Bitcoin price and selling paper Bitcoin to people. And that's why this movement towards holding your own Bitcoin, you know, the um, what was the thing that January 3rd was supposed to be like uh, take all of your Bitcoin off the exchange proof of keys, proof of keys. This has turned into a big proof of keys event. And that comment by SBF should be a huge, huge uh, red flag. Everybody needs proof of keys. There's going to be fallout from this. And I don't, I don't know if there's going to be some sort of, there won't be any regulation, I think, from the governments on proof of reserves. Because if they did that for crypto, they would have to do that for every other thing, right? The TradFi. And <laughs> that's not possible. So uh, these, but I think the community is going to hold the exchanges to account. I don't think you're going to be able to get very popular not big like FTX, especially not rapidly as FTX did. If you don't have some audit, uh, you know, some audit process, some transparency in your books. So I think ultimately this will be a good thing. But uh, anyway, rant, 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 rant over. Okay. Any other comments? Freeform Friday going once, going twice. All right. So guys, Check out BitcoinAndMarkets.com. Follow me on Twitter at Ansel Lindner. Of course, check out FedWatch podcast, Bitcoin and Markets podcast. Check out everything I do. Please share, share, share. And if you would like to support me monetarily, go to BitcoinAndMarkets.com. $5 a month, you can help me make more of this content and keep pushing out volume, volume upon volume of content. So, all right, guys, thank you. Have a great weekend. Go out, see some friends and family, spend some time with loved ones. Um, enjoy the real important things in life that is friends and family, outdoor nature. Get into your yard if you have a yard, go to the park, go hiking in the mountains, whatever. I mean, if it's not cold where you are, I guess I saw Europe is going to be getting a blast of cold weather. Um, but yeah, try to remember what's the important things in life. And even though Bitcoin is in a bear market, there's always light at the end of the tunnel. And yeah, the, the Bitcoin price is important. Price is everything for Bitcoin. But family and friends, that's what's really important. So, all right, guys, thanks for joining me. And I will check you on Monday. Bye.